Welcome to another episode of Forgot My Transmitter. Today's guest is Jamie from California. We discussed the many facets of private locating, and we dug deep into how concrete scanning works to find utilities and rebar. He also shared a story of locating on a military base with the radio frequency jammer. So let's get started. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Tell us a little about yourself. Hey, Dave. Well, I've been in the private utility locating field for about six years now. And prior to that, I was an electrician for close to eight. And prior to that, I was kind of just general labor. So I've been been in the trades most of my life. Kind of got into locating, just looking for a change, a little bit, you know, something different. And I started out in the private sector, so I didn't have the kind of the same training that a lot of the other guys have on the 811 side, I guess. Yeah. You want to call it that? And uh, so, yeah, you know, I started out just, you know, private utility locating and mini structure scanning GPR, area scan GPR, and uh, kind of moved up from there. did some hydro excavation, tractor camera systems. What else did we do? The underground utility mapping was another big one that kind of came later on. And uh, yeah, so I kind of got into that. I liked how everything's a little bit different every day. You know, when you're pulling wire, it it kind of goes one way and it is what it is. And that's how it's done. But when you go out in this field, every job's a little bit different, uh, especially with all the different services that we have. So it's, I like that aspect of it. I just got very bored kind of doing the, the sparky stuff. Right. Um, so I was looking for that change and I definitely found it with where I'm at. And after a couple of years of working for a large company, I kind of went off on my own for a couple of years. And then that kind of gave me the business development skill set to where I was. So that I didn't enjoy working for myself, but it's like one of those things where it's it's more headache than what people realize. And when you yeah. get into it and you're trying to wear all the hats and do all the field work, it's just, it's a lot. And it was something that I, I did enjoy doing and I was grateful to have the opportunity to do. And it definitely kind of was a stepping stone for me, but now I'm back working with a, a larger company and, and kind of doing uh, a lot of the business development and networking and proposals and field work as well. So it's, plate's definitely still full, but it's nice to have, kind of the resources and options that larger companies can offer rather than just being on your own. So you did your own private thing for a while? Yes, I did. I kind of, cause obviously when you start out in the private sector and, and you're a small company, it's, it's hard to kind of, you know, share a space with the big guys. And there, there's a quite a few of them out where I'm at. And so it's, I was looking for areas that were not really being targeted. And with that, it's kind of, you're dealing with like reverse engineering, structural investigations, more on the GPR side and the concrete scanning side. So I started kind of getting into that on my own. And, you know, as time kind of goes on, you engineers start kind of hearing your name and they refer you to other people in the industry and you kind of start kind of establishing a, a nice record for yourself and, and your work and what you do. And when you kind of do things like that, there's not a ton of competition out there anyway. And it's because there's not enough of it for a large company to eat off of. But for a little guy, I mean, kept me busy, that's for sure. Yeah. And I also did private utility locating and underground mapping as well on my own. But definitely smaller, I don't want to say smaller, but less stuff out in the street, more residential applications. 
you know, people that have a lot of property, a lot of businesses that kind of want to expand and things like that. I was offering them a lot of digital mapping and stuff like that. So, yeah. So you're with, with a firm right now doing primarily privates now? Yeah. Okay. We do mainly it's private locating and then both types of GPR. So area scans and concrete structure scanning as well. So clearing coring locations, tenant improvements, you know, kind of laying out what's there structurally so that they can decide whether or not they want to put in a skylight here or not, or take this wall down or whatever it is that they're doing. So we do a lot of that. And then of course you have in slab utilities. So that's where kind of that locating also kind of, I guess, crosses services where you end up doing both on one job. So we get a lot of that and uh, we, we pretty much do everything, but hydro excavation. We don't, we don't offer that where I'm at. Thankfully, I'm not sorry about that. It's right. great to do it, especially when you're training, because you get to see how off your marks are when you're yeah. when you're learning. Yeah. And then they used to make us go out there in the field, and you know, if we located a, a large area, we were the ones out here bottling it. So we got to see if we screwed up, and and they would come out and be like, okay, you know, what what were you using? What mode were you on? What frequency? And just kind of review, like, try to figure out where maybe you went wrong. And I think that was a large, that in the GPR card is a huge benefit that we had on the private side, where if yeah. we screw up, you know, there's just less, less of a window of error, I guess, yeah. if you will. Right. So. So like back to when you were, you were looking at your work in the potholes, do you have a certain technique that you had to stick to? Because I know a lot of people say, oh, you have to locate towards the transmitter. What are your thoughts on that? Well, the closer that you get to the transmitter, you know, the more that your signal is going to be kind of pulled towards the transmitter itself and your ground rod. So, I mean, it really depends on the utility that you're on, the material, and what year it was put in. And that can vary based on county. So if you're going into a county that's fairly old, you got to be looking for more cast iron lines, things like that. Whereas nowadays, everything they're putting in might have a iron or, or ferrous riser but then it's going to transition to like a polymer or plastic line once it gets six or eight feet out and they're supposed to be putting tracers on those they don't always do as we all know yeah and so yeah it, it's it really depends it's very circumstantial on how it needs to be done in that way when they would come out and look at what we were doing we had operations that would come out and kind of check our puddles you know if we were off it was usually by not very much. I, I probably, you know, had maybe two or three projects where there was a line here or there that was a little bit off by maybe a foot. Yeah. It wasn't very much. I, I did have a couple dry holes, like really starting out, which, you know, a lot of that comes from GPR work and not so much the locating in. Because when you're using the cart, you know, there's a large rock or something like that. I mean, we've, we've daylighted you know, CMU blocks that are fairly deep and the GPR doesn't know. It just right. it sees that indication. You mark it out. You obviously try to line it up and make sure that it's not just a single anomaly. But yeah. if you can kind of line everything up, I mean, we've had it to where CMU blocks were laid out in a straight line, just buried. And then the GPR picks that up. You come out in your pothole and it's like, well, technically it's not a utility, but it's not really a dry hole either because there were obstructions there. Yeah. So it, it, yeah, that was kind of the the system that they used, and I, and I thought that was great—a great option for learning coming into this blind. That's for sure. Yeah. So, how many years have you been 
locating, like putting paint on the ground? Coming up on my sixth year, it's going to be, I want to say, the end of September is going to be my sixth year total. Okay. What's your track record like for damages? Currently, I do not have any damages that I that I know about. Right. Nobody's called. So that's always a good thing. Yeah. Uh, I would say the only thing, which even then, you know, I, I'm pretty good about just doing my due diligence, not, not rushing. And that's another, you know, luxury on the private side where we don't have this huge amount of projects to do in a day. The project is the project, you know, generally. Yeah. So you're able to take the, the appropriate amount of time to problem solve. If you need more time, if you need to come back the next day, it is what it is. And clients are generally pretty understanding about that. If you kind of explain everything, you just keep them in the loop as things kind of unfold. But you know, I, I haven't had any actual damages. The only thing that would even be close was I told them not to core at a location and they cored it anyway. And then they blew right through the rebar. And that was when I first, probably my about six months, maybe a year in on mini scanning. Yeah. And, you know, we went over all the documentation and the reports and, and, you know, they looked and they said, Hey, he told you, there was no clear, there was no clear spots. You guys blew through it anyway. And they're like, well, that is what it is. And that's why photos and, and data reports and all that are so important because it, it really, you know, you get a lot of miscommunication when you're dealing with somebody at an administrative level. And then you go out there and you're dealing with project managers and superintendents. And then you're dealing with, depending on the project, you may have escorts, things like that. Yeah. If it's kind of a high security area. So when you're dealing with all those hands in the cookie jar, you just have to make sure that communication is going across all those points of contact. Oh yeah. Make sure there's a good, good paper trail for sure. Yes, sir. Do you know of any damage stories then in your area or your company? My company? No, I know, you know, the only damages that I remember seeing that were even from other people that I know was like a big one would be post-tension cables. Though there, there was a because they're they could be relatively difficult to see depending on visibility on the in the concrete. Yeah, and you of course you have the cover and you have all these other factors that play into that visibility. So I think that with those there they can be easily overlooked. But a lot of the new equipment now it's it's really come a long way even the last few years. You know, you're looking at what they're doing now to where everything goes through the iPad and the augmented reality and you have all these different kind of options to make sure that you're really getting everything. So it's really minimizing those, those occurrences more and more and more as, as more companies and manufacturers are getting into the game. But for damages, yeah, it's been pretty minimal. Like we, we've always kept a good tight crew. Everybody's, you know, if you're unsure about something, usually there's another guy on site and you can, hey, man, what do you think about this? And they can check it out and you can just kind of go back and forth and, and just put the pieces together. And, and as long as you're working with a good team, it's it's been pretty easy to avoid damages. I've seen a lot of things over the years, but luckily not a lot of damages. So, so back to the high tension rods in the concrete. Well, yeah, so it's if they're going to blow through like a multi-story building, something like that, to bring up maybe electrical or comm lines, you know, we'll come through, we'll clear rebar and post-tension cables and just give them a, a couple of options. Obviously, identify any in-slab utilities as well. 
Some people want specifics. Maybe they want to know where a beam is, things like that. But yeah, they the post-tension cables have a very odd kind of reading on the GPR. They're very lightly colored. When you hit reinforce or when you see reinforce bar on the GPR, it gives off a very white kind of reflective outline. And the post tensions can almost kind of blend in if you're not constantly adjusting everything as you go. And, and you kind of have to be looking for, you know, is it there? Scan some other areas. Just make sure your visibility is up to par in the area. I mean, there's been times where I'm scanning and I'll ask somebody like, hey, have you guys had any water damage in here? And they'll go, oh, no. Are you sure? Oh, well, you know, six months ago we had a leak and it's like, you know, once all that moisture gets absorbed in that concrete, especially if it's, you know, a slab on grade, something like that, yeah. where it's going to hold that moisture, it can really distort that signal. And then those huh. post-tension cables can kind of start to just be more faint. So you just have to be looking at that and making sure that you're you're aware if they're there, whether yeah. it's, that, like I said, the stamp or the plans or just speaking with a superintendent, project managers, things like that. What happens when you hit? when those tension cables get hit? Well, supposedly they have the risk of snapping and then causing kind of a domino effect of just broken concrete and just a whole, you know, really destroying that area of the slab. The ones that I've heard and seen pictures of getting hit haven't had that effect, thankfully. But when I did see them, they were just kind of cut. And then at that point, they have some sort of, system to repair it where they have to break it out and they can retie it in but you know it's just it's there's always that risk of there if something gets hit like that that it's going to cause a massive amount of damage in that area and if you're in a hospital and you're above the icu or something like that like you don't want to be having things go wrong in those areas so no it's just extremely important that you're cautious when you're doing those kinds of things and that anytime you use any kind of gpr unit you have to just kind of step away and refresh things because your eyes will start to just blend everything together. And so you always want to be cycling through different seismic filters and things like that and just readjusting things and making sure that you're staying on point. Yeah. So you have several different types of GPR? Well, so we use standard GPR structure scanning. So it's like the mini scanner. And then we have a ferro scan unit, which also works on Primarily, it's going to be welded mesh and reinforced bar. The benefit of that over standard GPR is that you're going to get actual diameter size, and you'll be able to calculate cover and spacing exactly and produce those reports and give it to the client. So like I mentioned earlier, if somebody wants to you know, put a skylight or something in, then they need to know how much reinforcements are there, and they can decide whether they're going to remove those or not structurally. Right. So you really, it's beneficial to have both units on that end and then we have the gpr cart for the area scans which you know the the baby stroller lawnmower looking guy that you push back and forth across the street and pick up basically any utilities or anomalies that you don't have access to directly through em locating right fascinating so you you also mentioned before when we were communicating back and forth that you do camera work you explain that i did at the time so we had the standard, like the CCTV push cameras, which is kind of like the rotter with the camera lens on the end, and they usually have like a saw built in and all that. And so we would use those if there was a blockage or if we were just looking to kind of see what was going on. A lot of times, I remember we did one 
there was an old bank and they had tore the bank out and they were trying to get the vault out of the bank and they had all these bulldozers going back and forth and it had caused a bunch of cracks in the storm drain lines that drain underneath and it was kind of built on a bluff on a hill down by the beach so it was just a lot of sand underneath that kind of asphalt and then of course you, they start getting sinkholes probably six months later the cars start just kind of falling in so that would be a good situation where you would either use i believe we use the push camera first and then we realize like okay there's areas that have kind of caved in now but you can still kind of get by. So we have the crawler camera, which is modular. So you could kind of break it down to go into, I want to say the smallest it went down was a six inch line. And then you could put up to, I think it was eight wheels on it and really build it up. And you could go through and you would just record the entire line and give it to the client. And that would might be after damages or before and after. Those were the two common cases with that, those pieces of equipment. So if somebody was going to, a contractor was going to do work in that area, they might want to have the sewer lines and the storm drains recorded prior to them coming in so that they're not blamed for any damages after. Right. So you can kind of have that footage and they can you can inspect all the joints and all that. And that's where you see a lot of the crazy stuff. You know, you expect to see, obviously, things in the sewer and storm drains, but some of the stuff that you see in there is just really crazy that people flush those things. Oh, yeah. And it's, you know, or they dump them, whatever they're doing. But one of the stories we were doing, there was a lot of an area that had multiple cemeteries and mortuaries, and they had kind of these old sewer lines in that area, and we had put the crawler cam in there, put a sand on the back of it, and as we kind of pull it out, you could see the, the color, you know, the flow was kind of changing. It went from like kind of that dirty, murky color to clear, and then it was kind of orange. And when we pull it out, we would put the crawler cam in like a plastic bag, and then we would put it in the truck and then clean it when we got back to the shop and sterilize everything. Yeah. And when you're doing that, you obviously have all your PPE on, and you're making sure that you're not getting any splashback or any of that, and you just kind of have... Even with the gloves, you put rags over your gloves just in case one of the gloves tears or something happens. Yeah. And the rags were just bright red. And it was like, what is happening? And we're looking and it's, it's not clay pipe. It was green plastic pipe. And, you know, we start looking around and we realize like, this is red for a reason. And you could see the red streaks going through it like they would bond together in the flow. Huh. And they were, it was obvious what was going on. You know, they were, I don't know to this day how they dispose of that. I've heard two different scenarios where they incinerate it and then other ones where it actually goes through the standard filtration system. So I don't know if that depends on the county on how they handle all that. That's above my pay grade. But I just know that you see things like that. And it's just, you know, obviously you're always aware of the hazards of going into sewers and, and storm drains. But when you see those th kinds of things, it, it's definitely eye-opening on, on what you're dealing with. And, and, you know, of course, there's the, and you see lots of unfortunate, unfortunately, drug paraphernalia that goes down in those yeah. areas as well. I mean, the amount of damage that prophylactics cause as they start to kind of 
catch on things and build up and how many of those actually build up on those lines in certain areas is, is, is crazy because you don't see it in areas that are a little bit more rural, but when you get into real big city areas, those tend to be more common than you would realize. Like they just kind of flush and then they get kind of stuck and everything just piles up and you get like a nice HD view of what's been building up down there. And usually they'll have somebody come out and jet it out. We found entire window frames that have been stuffed down in their road cones. I mean, oh, it's, wow. it, it's endless, the stuff that gets pushed down in those lines. So makes you wonder how it happens, but somehow or another it does. Yeah. Interesting. Do you have any other stories that you've accumulated over the years? There's definitely a ton of stories. I mean, I, it's just a matter. It's hard to like keep things somewhat vague, but I will say that people are generally unhappy. I hear a lot of the stories where homeowners tend to be upset that people are going on their property, things like that. I've never had to deal with that. But one of the things that we do deal with out here is that people are upset if you're doing any kind of potholing or locating out in the street and you take a lane and you have your TC up. That seems to really get people upset. And I've had tons of people just, and I don't understand it, but they'll yell at you, they'll threaten you on the side of the road. And it's, it's, you see a lot of that kind of stuff going on and it's just part of, part of the, the industry. I mean, we dealt with it when we were doing electrical, you know, when I was doing, just being a laborer and, and digging holes and, you know, you dealt with it then too. So it's just very common no matter what industry you're in, but primarily those are the kinds of things that I would deal with people that are upset and you would have to kind of de-escalate and just be like, look, we're just trying to do our job or we're, you know, we'll get out of your way tomorrow. You won't have to deal with this, whatever, whatever you got to tell them to just kind of get them to kind of move along. But, but they definitely get upset when you're taking a lane at seven thirty in the morning at a busy intersection or something like that. And they're trying to get to work and it just, yeah. it's, it's ridiculous. But so that's one of the things, you know, I, I see a lot of stuff when you get on to the residential side and homeowners, not homeowners directly, but a lot of the unlicensed contractors that do work, you'll see a lot of sketchy stuff. And, you know, you just see direct burial electrical and, you know, you might try to locate it, hook up to it if you have an access point. Most of the time you don't, you don't know where it's going and things like that. And so you can kind of tell on the GPR when you see those things and you can tell by the depth too. But, you just have to really be on the lookout for what somebody may have done and try to figure out in your head whether it was to code or not what they might have been thinking when they did it. And so I've just seen a lot of things like that that are extremely sketchy because, of course, you have people that they may call as a preventative measure and then they may call after they've hit something. Yeah. So. Once they, they decide, oh, I don't need to do that, and then they hit something, then they're calling you and you get there, and you're like, what is happening right now? I mean, I've seen people, you know, ditch witch right through septic lines. Water mains seem to be very common. I don't know what it is with water mains and ditch witches, but, man, those things are, they just are attracted to each other, it seems like. Huh. They can find those things better than we can. Yeah. But, so, yeah, you see a lot of that. I've just gotten to go in a lot of cool areas, man. As far as stories go, like that's probably my number one thing that I, I really, not so much the the downside of things. And I'm not trying to sound like I'm full of positivity because that's not necessarily the case, but I've just got to see some cool stuff. I've got to do some 
you know, a lot of like underground work, underground tunnels, Metrolink stuff, military bases. Quite a, those are always a treat. Detention centers, prisons, and when you go on these sites, there's sometimes you have to have an escort with you at all times, and they'll literally follow you to the you know take a piss or whatever. Yeah. They're just there the entire time shadowing you. And so some of those areas, I, I can't really say what a lot of them are, but they're just high security clearance. And, and it's cool to be part of that and know that you worked on some of those projects when you see them wrapped up and finished. Yeah. And that's definitely a, a very a very nice thing on the, on the private side. I, I have a lot of respect for everybody in this industry and not every job is is amazing. I mean, believe me, most of the time I'm out doing some trivial thing or concrete scanning for, for clients and, and giving them the reports. But every once in a while you get a cool client or a cool project and, and you get to see something new and, and really experience it. One of the bases I was at, they had radio frequency blockers. So none of our equipment worked. We got out there and it, you know, the EM locator kind of worked, but it was still like, it would, you could tell it was messing with it. Like even yeah. areas where you had trench paths and stuff, our marks were what we were getting on our peak and everything was just way off. So I, I always thought that was interesting. And that's something I'm always on the lookout for now. When I talk to anybody that wants any work done, it's like, hey, by chance, do you have any of these equipment, this equipment on site? And in that particular project, I remember telling the client, I said, hey, we can't see anything. Like something's not right. He's like, well, I, I, I don't know what it would be. And then as we were walking back to the truck, they had all these signs everywhere that said RFD blockers in use. They, when we came in, they took everything. They took our, our cell phones, our iPads, everything. Right. So you didn't, you didn't know that your signals weren't working. Yeah. And then you go to hook up and you're like, you know, the GPR is just white. You can't see anything. And like I said, the, the, even on the EM side, it was just, everything was off. Something wasn't right. And that's kind of a neat thing. And, and that whole area itself was kind of abandoned, kind of looked like a some from one of the fallout games was just, they were trying to kind of revamp it and, and redo it and bring it back and put it back in service. But it had been sitting for a long time and I had all these, you know, hazardous signs and, and all that everywhere. It was just kind of a neat setting and kind of something cool to take part in, even though it was a project that was, you know, kind of didn't pan out how everybody wanted it to. It is what it is in those scenarios. There's nothing we can do about it. They have to have those things on for a reason. And so how did you overcome that? In that situation, we ended up trying to do, you know, just as much EM locating as we could for them. And we just let them know, like, hey, as we get closer to these areas where you have these signs posted, you really need to just understand that these these marks are non-approximate. And the, the way around that is that you're just putting down preliminary dots and not directional arrows. You're not providing depths because you don't know that those things are accurate when you're in those areas. And you're just, you're just communication with the client. This is what's going on. This is what we can do for you. This is where we're at with our limitations. Unfortunately, in that scenario, like I said, they, we couldn't have our phones. We couldn't even take photos. So we had to hand kind of alter the contract on site and have the client sign it and say, hey, this is where we're at. And then we proceeded and gave them what we could. And it is what it is in those scenarios. Was there a certain frequency that worked better or maximum output? Not really. I mean, a lot of it, what they were wanting was sewer lines. So we were putting rotters down in there and, you know, we try to keep things as, as low as possible. You know, 
33 or below 33 is kind of the max you do on a rotter it's just going to light everything up so yeah. it would really be more around the the eight the 819 and the you know i12 is kind of rough on a rotter but that was kind of how we managed that we just gave them flow directions mantle dips mantle reports everything just had to be handwritten and you just take notes and and they were just trying to tie in all the these old sewer lines to the new ones that they had put in in the other areas so we just did what we could and for frequencies it's I mean, what do you do in that scenario? You know, you walk into that, not knowing you're walking into that. And you're like, just trying to figure out like lining up the kind of any laterals, anything that you have, and just trying to be like, how far off is this? You know, and of course, witching is always an option. It's, it's the last option in certain scenarios, but you know, it, it is something that we have utilized and it does, you know, I've heard other people talk about it, and it's kind of one of those things where I think everybody has a little bit different opinion on it, which makes it kind of even more interesting. That's right. But I, I know for us, where we're at and what we've used it for, it's come in where we've potholed immediately after, and it's it's been dead on. Huh. And it's in areas where the GPR may have failed because you have asphalt that's been paved over and paved over and paved over so many times that you have very, very poor visibility going down, you know, anything beyond a couple of feet. Yeah. And when you're talking about, especially some of those deeper utilities, it just kind of, you know, it's, it's like always in your back pocket. And, uh, but I've also seen how kind of off it can be as well. So yeah. it's, you know, it, it's just one of those things, like I said, if you if you go that route, then just know that you're 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 running out of tricks up your sleeve, but it does the job. And that was another tactic we used on that particular project. Was there a certain utility that it worked better on? Definitely, I mean, definitely water. Yeah, water and sewer lines. You know, anything like that. I've seen it worked on work on other utilities. I've used it personally on. You know, I had a client that had put in a a gas line, and they had done a T. And it was a PLA line and they ran the tracer one way, but not at the T. So he wanted me to find where it teed off and there wasn't enough room to get the cart in there because it was just very, very small, tight area. And, you know, I I hooked up to the tracer and then when I went to go get the connection point, I just switched it and they dug down and it was right on the center of that T. I mean, it was, wow. and that's all I used on that. Yeah, uh, particular project. So I've seen it work on gas. I've seen it work on power, definitely less on power for whatever reason. I think the theory that I was told on it, and I know this is some people, everyone's probably going to disagree, but what I was always told was that it, when you have a void, it throws off a little bit of that kind of the gravitational pull. And so it causes those rods to kind of go back and forth and fluctuate and give you an indication. And when it makes more sense, if you're having things like water or a large kind of void in that pipe, whether it's gas or, or water or drain or whatever it is, that you're going to get more of a, a stronger indication on those rods than versus a conduit that's kind of stuffed to the maximum code with wire. And yeah. also you have the electrical current, the magnetic field that's running through those wires. It's going to also manipulate any sort of indication you're going to get off of those rods. So it's 
I think that's part of it. But I, again, that's all just kind of how I was, it was explained to me. And it's all just theory. I mean, I don't know that anybody actually knows how that stuff works and, and why it works better on this utility over that, whether the utility material itself comes into play and all that, that I don't know. Right. It's, who knows? But it definitely works for the most part. But yeah, it, it's, it's the last option. For sure. Have you had any experience with the concrete scanning at all, the structure scanning, or just seen it? You know, where we are, the concrete scans is usually done by a specialist company. That's all they do is just concrete scanning, at least in this area. But it's interesting to know how the concrete scanning works, because it is. You are locating something that you can't see. It's the exact same thing as right. locating through the what's in the ground. Yeah, I mean, it's rather than the signal going through the line, it's just going directly down, and then any changes in that signal are going to reflect it back. And then it's going to appear on the screen. And you kind of, over time, you get a feel for different materials and what those materials look like. Like I was saying earlier, with different manufacturers now, they'll actually give you a heads up like, hey, you have an electromagnetic field in this location, meaning you have power over whatever it is that you're scanning. So you can mark that as conduit or possible conduit is what I do. I never 100% unless I can hook to it directly and know that's what I'm on. I always just lay everything out and, and kind of, you know, leave that open-ended in that, that way where it's like possible conduit, possible beam, yeah. things like that. But you, you always see those kind of changes and even in similar metallic lines. So if you, for whatever reason, you know, had a, a metal line, like say you have a copper water line that's inside of a slab, that'll look slightly different than rebar, but you've got to really kind of pay attention to what your depths are, what the spacing is, and just kind of put all the pieces together because at the end of the day, you're really looking at a bunch of TV static and trying to make sense of it all. Yeah. And, you know, you're just dissecting everything that you're doing and laying it out in like a big grid pattern for the client and making sure that they know what's there. So with that kind of stuff in those scenarios, if they're going to be either breaking it out to repair it or, like I said, do tenant improvements or coring, whatever they're doing. You want to make sure that safety is always number one for whoever's going to be doing that work. And that falls onto us. And then the other part of it, like I was earlier with the feral skin units, and is, you know, I think Hilti makes one that switches between both. And it's, it's like 80 grand or something. It used yeah. to be. I don't, I don't know if it, it might be obsolete now, but yeah, it gives you a little bit more data on that end where you can actually say it's plus or minus 0.2, you know, number three, number four rebar kind of thing. And then that gives the engineers, the structural engineers, a little bit more to go on if whatever they're trying to do, whether they're trying to make a case for a client. You get a lot of people that maybe had something built a long time ago and now they want to modify it and they need to bring everything up to current code in order to make those changes. They have to know what's there. So then they have to bring in a structural engineer and then a non-destructive testing technician, which would is what we fall under private inspections. Yeah. And then you have generally a, an architect on the project and a general contractor and you have all these different hands and every, everybody kind of makes it work on that end. And that's where you really start to see both those units being used together rather than 
you know, a standard like core, you know, clearing coring locations, you can take both units and I do from time to time, but generally it's just going to be standard GPR and it's going to just, you're going to be reading those, those reflections and marking out any hyperbolas that you see that are going to be of interest to the client. What kind of training is involved in GPR? Like how long did it take you to get comfortable with reading those anomalies? Well, it, just like everything else in, in the, any industry, I guess, they kind of start you off with very basic stuff. So generally what they'll do is they would have me go out with another guy for weeks just watching him. And he would go and mark everything out and then it's kind of narrate what he was doing. And then you would take the unit and go back over his marks and kind of see what he saw and how he marked it out and why he marked it out and why maybe one is, you know, how did he determine that this is post-tension and this is re, you know, rebar? You know, how did he yeah. come to that conclusion? And then you just have to ask those questions. Like, how did you know? And it's not a short thing. It's about, I want to say, to where I was comfortable doing it on my own, it was probably about six to eight months of just shadowing somebody. Obviously, we had other services that we were doing. And you also have to try to coordinate with the client. Like maybe they don't want somebody that's training out on their project. If you're dealing with prevailing wage projects, a lot of those guys, that they're not interested in, in that you have training on their projects. So you just have to take it when you can and ask the questions and just try to have a good understanding of how all that works. And at the time when I was learning it from where I'm at, they had a manufacturer's course for the unit and they had sent a couple guys to it and they came back and just said, look, like, as long as you understand the theory of it, you're not really learning anything from these classes outside of what's better than what you're doing, actually shadowing somebody and seeing it done and, and then kind of verifying everything that they have already marked out and gone over. Yeah. The cart is another matter. That's that took a lot, probably at least a year. And uh, again, with those oh to where I was on my own, you know, to where they could say, Hey, you need to go to the airport and they wanna they're confident that you're not gonna because uh, everything you mark on those jobs, they have the pothole. Every mark you put on the ground, they gotta daylight it. So yeah. When you're doing that, they want to make sure, obviously, that you're getting everything, but that you're also not having these guys run around chasing around a bunch of nothing. Yes, so right. that that was kind of how a lot of that went. And like I said, it was it was about a year. And it's just it's dividing that between all these different services and how to effectively kind of use them and when to not use them. And with the cart, they started me out. I remember on just trench paths. If you had a maybe a trench path for a hydrant or something like that. And it's like, look, you can kind of clearly see like, this is where this goes. This is what this looks like. You can see the material, the riser, and, you know, whether it was something that maybe they hot tapped or whatever, because you're going to get those kind of, you have to kind of determine when you're looking at these things, if it's, is it a cast iron line or, or a steel line or uh, PLA or whatever. That's the main thing. I've trained a couple guys myself, and it's like I always tell them, "Do you have any questions?" If somebody says no, I'm concerned that they don't have questions because there's yeah. no way they're going out and and watching this be done, and and they don't have questions. So I always tell people, "Hey, you know, don't be afraid to ask, even if it's something that you think sounds stupid. Just just ask." Like I'm still learning things to this day. Nobody's a master at this. We're all 
seeing new things every day. So asking those questions and communicating is, is how we get by. I mean, we've all been there no matter what you're doing, where you have to call somebody and be like, call your operations manager. What do you think about this? You know, this is what I got going on. Send me some photos, send me a video, whatever. And you just have to be able to have that. And when I went out on my own, I didn't have that, you know? And so that was extremely scary. On, on that end, just because you, you're it, you're, you're the person on site. And, uh, but yeah, it's, I would say for training for all between all those services, at least EM locating and structure scanning and area scans for GPR, at least a year of wow. just consistently doing it to where I would feel comfortable putting somebody on, you know, one of my projects by themselves when I, when I had my own thing. So yeah, it's, it's scary, man. It's uh, when you look at what we do, we do it every day, but you, you never know, like you're always second guessing yourself. And I think that's what makes a good locator too. anybody who is complacent is that's unfortunately when mistakes happen. Yeah. Uh, I, I will, I might mark something out and be like, you know, I just, I don't like that. I don't like the way it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't look right. And then you'll go back and you're, you're just rechecking it. You might try a different frequency, might try moving your transmitter, your ground rod, whatever you got to do to try to get something that's a little bit more definitive and seems like it, it should be where it should be. And then if you have plans, like I said earlier, that's, that's always a luxury, but it's not always the case. So always reference those when you can, but yeah, it's, it's when you got guys that are digging behind you, you definitely feel the pressure. Do you respond to emergencies at all? I do, but it's, you know, I had one yesterday, actually, and that was the first one I had in a long time. It's pretty, pretty rare for us for emergencies, at least where we're at, because a lot of commercial projects, you know, they, they usually call like a dig ticket in and they come out and that'll be enough for them to at least kind of know what they're getting into. And if they don't feel good about maybe what's there or there's something on the plans that wasn't able to be located, then at that point they might call us in. But it's not usually like, a oh, something's going down right now. Something was hit. We need you to come out. Let's call a, a private company out. A lot of the night jobs that I've done and, and do, they're, they're planned out. They're not emergencies. They're just, you know, it might be an area, a high traffic area where yeah. you can only come in at night and that's the only way you're going to get anything done, you know. Yeah, But yeah, I did have one yesterday and it had probably been a good year and a half before I did from the other one that I had, but, and it wasn't a big deal. They'd gone through a, a water main and, you know, it was at a house. It was, it was just their, their primary water line and they had cut through that and then they cut through some irrigation and some low voltage. And I guess at that point they decided it was, it was in their best interest to have somebody come out and mark everything out right. when they hit that third strike. So, yeah, yeah. But yeah, those, those are typically the kind of emergencies or the other one that we'll see if we do where they need to get some coring done, they might have a company out there already to do the coring and maybe they hit something and, and why they just didn't get that done prior, I don't know, or maybe they did and something was missed. But generally you'll get a lot of that where it's like, can you come out today? We got it. We already have a coring crew out here. Can you come out and they're going to saw cut and lay everything out. And you just, you know, we try to fit everybody in that we can, but sometimes 
we don't have the availability and and it is what it is you know we, we yeah. can only spread ourselves so thin that's right we go all over the state so i get calls for not often but once in a while you get stuff that could be a thousand miles away and you have to bid accordingly and plan that out and then that eats a big chunk of your schedule out where you're not available to do any other things and yeah so, but yeah that's not a ton of emergencies what about you guys you guys i imagine you're the first ones they call when something happens in the middle of a job or at night yeah on the public side you're getting called quite frequently all all through the yeah. night especially because our company does sewer inspections if there's a plug in the line so the gas company right has us contracted out to go and put the camera through to make sure that, that they didn't bore the gas line through the sewer. Gotcha. Because if they go through with a sewer snake and they cut the gas line, it filled the whole house with gas and big problems there. Right, yeah. So the, as a preemptive measure, they have us going out for any sewer backup to make sure that the gas line is far enough away from the sewer. Gotcha. Do the gas companies monitor you guys out there? Like out here, if you're locating transmission lines, they they actually have to be on site to watch you. They want to look at your marking standard. They want to see how you're locating it, where you're putting it. If you are going to pothole any of the lines, they want to make sure that you're not removing any of that sheathing that they put over the transmission lines with the hydrojet. Do you guys have that out there as well? Yeah, it's called third-party watch here, where where a representative from the gas company is there on site to make sure that the excavation is following the guidelines, so the parameters within that corridor. That if you're so close to it, you have to pothole it, right? Like three feet on either side, it needs to be needs to be hydro excavated, typically. Right. Yeah, and I mean it's. They just, it seems to be more prevalent with gas, but yeah, I mean, I, I, it's one of those things that it was just kind of, kind of tripped me out the first time I saw it because they, they'll have like a, a whole crew come out and that they just shadow you. And you know, we're used to people shadowing us anyway. Like you get clients or contractors or whatever may be the case shadowing you. But to that extent, it, it's, I get why they do it. But it's definitely just another thing that you have to account for and schedule and, and accommodate. And it's just part of the job. But it's it was something that I didn't actually encounter that because you spend about a year just kind of learning. So it wasn't until a, a little bit later later in that I actually started seeing that and, and being on those sites. And it's, it's definitely interesting to just kind of talk to those guys and, yeah. and kind of see how they do things and pick up stuff from them as well. That's and, right. But yeah, it's, you know, overall, it's a, it's a good community. Everybody has little kind of different things that we all do, but it's a small, tight-knit community. And that, that's something that I've always enjoyed as well, even when you're dealing with people that may not necessarily locate, just, just people that are doing underground utility contractors. And you know, I, it's something that I couldn't really see myself doing anything else, but at least for now, probably said the same thing when I started first pulling wire and here right. I am. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. No, that is a nice thing about locating is that it spans multiple construction industries. So you, you learn yeah. you learn a lot about all the different different industries and utilities and oh yeah. You could go any which way you want. Whether it's a jump with a public utility 
or into the construction or like run a drill crew. You can go anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're starting to see things that are becoming more and more common, like the directional boring. And you start to kind of see the direction that that's going. And it's really pushing the industry as a whole forward. Because the more, the more services that can use our services, the bigger this industry grows. The, the growth that I've seen just on private locating since I've been doing it is out here. It's got to be close to three times now, if not more, maybe five times. Because there's a lot of smaller kind of mom and pop private companies that have popped up in the last couple of years. And, uh, but it's good. You know, I don't, I don't even see it necessarily as a competitors it's everybody's out here eating and and taking care of their families and and sometimes i refer stuff out if it's we can't do it or whatever i got my guys that i might refer it out to and just be like hey this is either outside of my scope of work and my wheelhouse or my skill set or or the current equipment that we have or, or whatever it is most of the time it comes down to manpower companies that have they can send a crew of know six guys out to do a large project on short notice you know i have the companies that i'll send that out to but yeah it's just great to see this industry continue to growing in the sense of community that it does have them just trying to always talk to whoever i can through different social media platforms and and linkedin and stuff like that that are in this industry and you just kind of get to know everybody and you go to the shows and the expos and you get to meet them talk to them firsthand yeah i enjoy it when was the last time you forgot your transmitter or your GPR device? I have never forgotten those, <laughs> luckily. I have yeah. left ground rods, manhole hooks, things like that. Okay. Uh, but thankfully, I have never forgotten any expensive equipment. It's just I've been buying tools for so long, man, that like yeah. we all know what that stuff costs. And it's like it's the first thing that goes in the truck. And, you know, then you're usually forgetting something trivial like cones or or something like that, maybe a rotter. But thankfully, that has not happened yet. But like I said, there's always tomorrow, man. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all for for my questions. But do do you have anything else you'd like to add? No, I just, I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate you having me on. It's it's really great to just be part of this. It's great to just hear all the different sides and, and facets of it. So I do appreciate that. And as far as personal advice for me, I I would just say if you're trying to learn, you're trying to get into this or you want to go to the private side, like, you know, make the jump. You can always go back between the two or or whatever. It's a great industry to be in and it keeps us all busy. And if you're into learning new things and working with your hands, it's you can't go wrong, whether on the public or the private side. That's right. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Alrighty. Take care, man. Be safe out there. That concludes today's episode. If you would like to be a guest on this show, please visit ForgotMyTransmitter.com for instructions on how to submit your info. And remember, don't forget your transmitter.